Hey, Connect Church, PD here. Everybody calls me that. Pastor Derek, I'm so glad that you're with us. If you're a part of our church or you're visiting online, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, I'm going to get right into our series in just a minute, but I do want to kind of make a special, you know, announcement. Today, we started City Group. So I know there's some people, I hope you're cheering all over the place. We're in four different locations today. Of course, we're also online. So we're really in five locations reaching people uh, throughout our region. So we're becoming a local church with a regional impact. So instead of everybody coming to us, uh, we're going to them. And so wherever you are, if you want to gather, we're doing that now. And if you just go to our website, weconnect.cc, you're going to see a way where you can connect with people and we can be together as a family again. Where should you go? You should go where you live. You should go uh, to the location nearest to where you live because we want to learn to love our neighbor, invite our neighbor to church. Instead of inviting our neighbors from far away, trying to get them to come to one location, have them go near and where they live. And I think it's a great opportunity for us um, to have that missional mindset so that we can multiply the Church of Jesus Christ in the, midst, in the midst of this COVID pandemic. Are you with me, Connect Church? Can I have an amen out there? And can I have an amen in the chat? Because we've been reaching people week in and week out online. So if you cannot be with us, I'm so happy that you're with us online today. We are in a series. Personally, I think this is the most important series of the year for me as your pastor because really the beginning of the year, God gave me this word and the word was multiply. It's taken me six months to figure out what I'm going to say because once COVID hit, it was just kind of, what are you up to, God? And so uh, thank God we have a strategy that's amidst the vision we've always had. We've got kind of a new approach to be able to continue to increase and reach you know, the loss for Jesus Christ. But we started this series, I can't believe it, five weeks ago. And I kicked it off and I basically talked about how God wants to do a new thing. And in order for us to see a new thing, we got to let go of the old thing. And, and then my son came up uh, the next two weeks and he talked about what it means to be a soul winner, how to have the heart and the habits of a soul winner. Uh, and, and, and last week, what did I talk about last week? Does anybody remember what I talked about last week? If you do, you will get a prize if you can put in the chat what the heck we talked about last week. I'm not going to say it because I'm going to test you guys out and see if the online team can just, you know, reward somebody. But today, today, we're going to talk, um, uh, the message title is going to be about being fruitful. Are you fruity or are you fruitful? Okay, and so uh, in the scriptures, really way early in the beginning, Genesis uh, chapter one, the Bible tells us to be fruitful and multiply, and that's the focus, you know, uh, of the series. Again, is multiplication, but God has attached a word to multiplication that precedes multiplication, and the word is fruitful. And so I think God wanted us to know something, that uh, in knowing him, um, we would be able to, or as a byproduct of that, be productive. And in order to describe this productivity, he uses the word fruit, or he uses the word fruitfulness. Fruit is that reference to what our lives produce in our experience, relationship 
with him. And so you will see, and it's throughout the scriptures recorded, that God uh, is concerned that what we produce is in keeping with who he is. What we produce is in keeping with who he is. So here's kind of the big idea. It's really more of a principle uh, for our spiritual lives. Um, but write this down if you're taking notes. Here's the big idea. Uh, the greater our experience with God, the greater our fruitfulness should be. The greater our experience with God, the greater our fruitfulness should be. So again, God doesn't want you to just be people who are acquiring knowledge, who are uh, getting so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. I call those fruity Christians. How many know a fruity Christian out there? Uh, yep, you probably uh, if raised your hand. You knew somebody. If you didn't, you're the fruity Christian. Okay, so, uh, but God wants you to not be fruity, but fruitful. And that fundamentally means you are highly productive. And so this series has a lot to do with results and production and outcomes in our spiritual lives. Now, the Bible um, communicates uh, uh, this word in different ways, in uh, kind of uh, an, a way to speak to this productivity in different ways. For example, it says in one place, a woman who is pregnant, he references, uh, the scripture references it like the fruit of her womb. In other words, she is producing life. Uh, another place it says regarding um, productivity, it says the fruit of the labor of your hands. Uh, so this is what your, your labor produces, your hands produce. Even our praise to God, the scripture calls it the fruit of our lips will praise uh, his name. So our, our words are expressing uh, in worship, and it is productive to do that. It's a fruit to do that. So fruit is producing. Just remember that fruit is producing and we can't multiply anything until we're beginning uh, to bear fruit. Now, many of us, when we look at our lives, if we're honest, we don't see that. We see, uh, or we see in others, uh, we see rotten fruit. We see rotten fruit. What we produce, we're not happy with, we're upset about it, and what's coming out of us, what's coming from us is rotten, and we want to bear uh, better fruit. We want our lives to have bigger and better results, but we don't see that. So I want to give you some of the characteristics of fruit. I'm going to give you the process of fruit, and we're going to talk about how to have, in a real, in really one word, how to have better fruit or how to bear fruit. But first, the characteristics. I'm going to give you three characteristics of fruitfulness. This is really interesting. It's very simple, but I think it'll pop for you uh, along the way. Here's the first thing, a uh, characteristic of fruit. Fruit is always visible. Fruit is always visible. You never see invisible fruit, okay? You never shop for invisible fruit. It's something you can see, an orange, a pear, you know, a pineapple, my favorite fruit, a banana. You see fruit. Fruit is visible. Many of us say we love Jesus, but if we don't, if there's nothing uh, to see, then you have to question if you, in fact, love Jesus, if, if the fruit is invisible. So if your relationship with Christ is invisible or it's only visible to you, then there might not be much of a relationship with Christ. So I, heard, I saw this in the chat last week. Somebody wrote this down, and it's a quote from somewhere else. But if you were ever accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence uh, to convict you? Would you be found guilty? And, uh, or would you be innocent of any charges? So fruit is visible, number one. Number two, write this down. Fruit reflects the character of the tree. 
Fruit reflects the character of the tree. It always bears the, uh, 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 the likeness, the characteristics of the tree to which it was attached or a part of. You won't find oranges on an apple tree. You won't find apples on an orange tree. Uh, you won't see bananas on a fig tree uh, because that is not the nature of the tree. The nature of the tree will define, determine the nature of the fruit. Orange trees produce oranges and so on. In fact, it says in the scriptures in Luke chapter 6, verse 43 and following, if you're getting something out of this, just say amen in there. So, uh, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is, look at this, recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick fig trees from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil things stored up in his heart, for out of the mouth... The heart speaks, right? From the heart, excuse me, the mouth speaks. So if we are experiencing God, what is coming out of our lives should be God-like. It should reflect the nature of God, the tree. Uh, the, we'll see later, the vine. It ought to be uh, uh, the same characteristics. And the reason why a lot of stuff that is coming uh, out of us doesn't look like God is because we're not experiencing God. And, and he desires for us to be experiencing him on a continuous basis in order for the fruit to appear like him. Does that, do you follow the logic, at least, with this? So in our walk, in our talk, in our actions, uh, we should reflect the character of the tree that we say we are a part of. Now, here's the third characteristic of fruit. Fruit, listen, this is interesting. Fruit doesn't exist for itself. Fruit doesn't exist for itself. All the city groups say amen. Come on, somebody. Uh, fruit doesn't exist for itself. The only fruit that you see eating itself is rotting fruit. The only fruit you see eating itself is rotting fruit. When you see the fruit is eating the fruit, then something is definitely wrong with the fruit. All right? Fruit exists for somebody else to eat it. See, we don't exist for ourselves. We don't exist for us to just enjoy ourselves. We don't exist for us to just feed ourselves. We, we should produce fruit, and that fruit should be for someone else. So if nobody wants to take a bite out of the life that we are producing because of how fruity we are, then something is wrong. In other words, if nobody wants to be like you or reflect you or, um, you know, model after you uh, at some point, uh, if, you know, attracted to the example of you, then something is wrong with the fruit. Something is wrong at the root of that fruit as well. So if nobody wants that, then there's a problem. Uh, I can say it like this. It's a different way to do it. But if I'm happy with me, but nobody wants a bite out of me, then it may be because I'm eating me. That's all I'm doing is eating me selfishly. And sir, ma'am, boy, or girl, uh, God uh, does not want us to produce uh, uh, rotting fruit. That behavior is a rotting fruit type behavior. Colossians 1.9 says it like this. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Look at this. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing, or you could say increasing, in the knowledge of God. So Paul correlates knowing God with bearing fruit and bearing fruit with knowing God. 
See, so this connects directly to our big idea, our key principle. The Greek word for knowing God here is a word I've taught you before. It's the word epinosis, epinosis. It's talking about full knowledge, experiential knowledge, revelational uh, knowledge is another way to say that. So it's not just knowledge alone. It's not just being content with eating. I know my verses. I read a Bible verse every day. I do three podcasts a week. I listen to worship music for at least 45 minutes a day. It's more than that. It's not that kind of knowledge. It's an experience where you know like Adam knew Eve. Like Abraham knew Sarah, it's a term of intimacy. It's a term that is experiential. When Adam knew Eve, something was conceived, something was birthed, something grew from it. There was production from it. Adam didn't just have information about her. There was intimacy, and it produced uh, fruit. And so when Paul, later in the scriptures, talks about the knowledge of God, he's talking about an experiential connection between you and God, between me and God, and with, with and, and intimacy with God. And that intimacy, listen, must produce life. That intimacy must produce fruit. If there isn't fruit, if there isn't life, then there wasn't intimacy and there wasn't experience with God. And so the problem most Christians uh, have is they want to go to heaven, but they don't care about being fruitful here on earth. God wants you to be fruitful and multiply. He said it at the beginning and he's going to say it all the way to the end. He wants you to be fruitful and multiply. And I want to be, uh, you know, sensitive and clear in this, this, this kind of next analogy or example, I should say. Um, we live in such a, you know, you know, strained and sensitive culture and even litigious culture. But I'm really concerned about couples who get married who don't want to have children but can have children. I'll just repeat it. I I get concerned when people get married, they don't want to have children, but they can have children. Why? Because I I believe it means we don't understand one or two things. I think one of the reasons for marriage by definition, by by its construction, uh, is God wants us to marry for unity, for pleasure, and for procreation. For multiplication is a byproduct of procreation. And so procreation of the human race, of, of people created in his image, and, and, and so people don't understand that. And so I think what happens is one of the reasons is, is we're, supposed to, we're supposed to get married and we're supposed to procreate. Uh, and if we don't, it usually means there's a self-centeredness. There's a rottenness, perhaps, to our fruitfulness. In other words, we don't want anybody interrupting our life, our schedule, our lifestyle, our plans, our expectations, because children will distract me. Children will uh, take me off my path, uh, my money, my time, my plans, my hobbies. And so to me, one having four kids and a third grandchild on the way so far, it's inconceivable that a believer with a biblical worldview would not want to have kids. So I think there's really only two reasons you wouldn't do that, in my opinion, and I'll state that, in my opinion, it's because they can't have children or because they have some unique call of God on their life. 
And I conclude that if there is this unique call of God on your life, I believe you should be even more committed to the local church, to kingdom living. You should be above and beyond, let's just say, the, uh, the average believer in productivity because you are, not, uh, dis- you are not divided, not distracted, but you are not divided in your affections. But the point of the relationship any relationship, is to produce a product or bear fruit. So Paul says fruitfulness is tied to things. And we see in the remaining text of this scripture uh, in Colossians, it it talks about in verse 9, it says, to the knowledge, I'm going to kind of paraphrase some stuff here uh, from verse 9 all the way to like verse 10. But it says says that uh, the fruitfulness is tied to the knowledge of his will. It says fruitfulness is tied to wisdom. It's tied to the walk. It's tied to the work, it says in verse 10b. All of this is affecting or producing a product, and that product is fruitfulness. So when God produces something in the life of someone, it should, it, 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 it beca- it's enjoyable, it is detectable, it is delectable, it is, listen, edible. Did you just say edible, Pastor Fry? Yes, I did. Because God is after something as a byproduct of our experience with him that gives and bears fruit to something luscious, uh, something even edible, uh, some kind of fruit that everybody would want. Fruit is uh, it's kind of three things. Fruit is, is your character. It is your conduct. And it is your contribution. Your character, what do I mean by that? Simply put, is your character is what, what you do when nobody's looking. Uh, conduct, simply put, is what you do when everybody is looking. Contribution is what, you, is what we do and what we give for the sake of others. So fruit, the edible part of your life, the delectable, delicious, uh, attractive part of your life, the fruitfulness of your life should be demonstrative in your character, your conduct, and in your contribution. Now, most of us, if we were asked, based on that type of definition, do you want to be fruitful? Uh, do you want to have, uh, or, or, or a, a, do you want to be a visible reflection of the tree that you are connected to? Do you want to reflect the character, the conduct, and the contribution? Uh, do you want to impact people with your efforts? Do you want people to take a bite out of your life and, and, and think good things about that and receive something good? You would all say yes. But no one, because no one wants to be a Christian who bears rotten fruit. Has anybody known any rotten Christians? Raise your hand. I can't see it anyway. Okay? But in other words, the, the love of Jesus in these people's lives is not manifesting. It, it's not, it, there's a rottenness. There's a rotten language. There's a rotten attitude. There's, a, there's rotten habits. There's rotten character. And so I realize that none of us are perfect. Can we stop saying that? Nobody's perfect. Usually we say nobody's perfect to just justify our rotten behavior. But none of us is perfect. I'm not talking about per- perfection. I'm talking about something that is normative for us 
in our person and our behavior. Are you following me in this? So we can, we can tell, we can see that something is wrong because we see the results. We see the fruit or the lack thereof. So if you look at the number of divorces, you look at the number of, uh, of addicted people, if you, if you look at the, uh, by Christians, by the way, who go to church, who perhaps even read their Bibles, if those things continue to happen, then something is wrong with the fruit and perhaps something is wrong at the, at the root. So you can see people who are blessing the Lord on Sunday and before they get to the car, they're cursing like a sailor. Not just on Sunday, but on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, and Saturday, okay? And, and so it, as the scripture says, blessing and cursing ought not, it shouldn't come out of the same mouth. It ought not be that way. So what is the problem? I'm just trying to make it simple. They're, they're not, we're not, if that's us, experiencing God. We're not experiencing God. I used to, I don't mean to pick on my mom. She's heard this example before, and she's not in this place in any way, shape, or form at this stage of her life. But I can remember as a young man assessing the fruitfulness of my parents categorically here. But I can remember my mom, she's had devotions every day. And I've, I've taken that to be such an incredible habit. It's formed her character. She knows the Bible inside and out. And, uh, you know, it's influenced my life in a profound way. But I can remember at a certain point in my life when my parents were not doing well in their marriage. And they were fighting like cats and dogs. There was strife. There was, there was a lot of bad stuff. I grew up in some, some heavy-duty strife. But I can remember... Um, you know, my mom going in to have her devotions for one hour every single day, reading the Bible, talking to God. And she'd go into her devotions, fighting like cats and dogs with my, with my dad, spend time with God. And as soon as she got out, she started fighting with my dad, and my dad started fighting with her. And I thought to myself, you couldn't be talking to God in there because it would make a difference. What? out here. We all think like that, okay? And so the reason sometimes uh, we're not seeing the fruitfulness, we're seeing the rottenness, is because of the lack of experience with God. Paul wants us to bear fruit, but for us to have that kind of fruit, it's like, it's like we said earlier, no one gets pregnant, you know, um, eventually has a baby by just talking about it. You can't just talk about it. Either there has to be a, a hookup. There has to be an intimacy in order for that fruit to be produced. And so what is this process of fruitfulness? So we talked about the characteristics. Let me get you the, the process. Now, the Bible dedicates a whole chapter to the subject of fruitfulness in John chapter 15. Go there this week. Read it. Make it a part of your devotions. But I'm going to be reading from John 15, paraphrasing some verses, 1 to 3, verse 5, verse 16, bouncing around a little bit, okay? But in, in John 15, verse 1, it says this. It says, I am the true vine. Now, this is Jesus. In this story, Jesus is the vine. He's the real deal. And my father, look at this, is the gardener. Or in one translation, says the vine dresser. But So Jesus is the vine. The father is the gardener. And then it says, he cuts off every branch in me. So that, that, the branch refers to us, the believers, that bears no fruit. So look at how God looks at or what the problem is with the lack of fruitfulness. So in the first part of this, this chapter, it says there is a, there's a no fruit branch at first. At first, when we get saved, there's no fruit, but there's an expectation that we will begin to bear fruit. Then it says, 
while later, a little later it says, while every branch that does bear fruit, so it starts out no fruit, then it starts to bear fruit. Then it says, once you start to bear fruit, what does the vine dresser or the gardener do? He prunes it so that it'll be even more fruitful. So we go from no fruit to some fruit to being even more fruitful. So now we got a branch that's bearing more fruit. And then he says, um, I am the vine. This is uh, verse 5. You are the branches. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. If, conditional word, powerful two-letter word, if you remain, or uh, the translation that I like is abide, if you remain or abide in me and I in you, relational, intimate, experiential, epinosis, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So now we go from no fruit to some fruit to more fruit to much fruit in verse 5. Then in verse 16, it says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Look at this. Fruit that will last. Fruit, in one translation, it says that will remain. So now we go from no fruit to some fruit to more fruits. Okay, to, uh, to uh, much fruit, to fruit that will last. So, so he wants it, it gets bigger and bigger, more and more. And then it even goes to multiplicative, or you could say it goes on and on even beyond you. So this is the way God sees this process, that in intimacy with him and experience with him, we should become more and more fruitful. So if we're not, everybody, that be, that's a direct byproduct or it's directly correlated to our lack of experience. So for this process to be successful, we got to learn something about grapes. Did he just say that? We're going to learn about grapes. Yeah, this is a fruit message, of course. And so I don't know if any of you are familiar with Napa Valley. And it's where a lot of the, uh, you know, where the wine testing is done and the great wines are made in Napa Valley. I don't know a lot about it, okay? And I'm not like a big wine drinker or anything like that. But, but this, one of the things, if you look it up, one of the things you'll see if you go there is that the branches with all these grapes on them, they're just robust and healthy and beautiful. But in order for them to stay that way, these grapes are hoisted up. These heavy, heavy uh, you know, branches of grapes are hoisted up and they're tied to posts and so many feet apart from each other. And the branches from the vine are tied, uh, kind of tied with wire. And the reason that they're tied up and hoisted up is to get them to the sunlight and to keep Keep them from dragging on the ground. Because if they don't, if they don't get up off the ground, they won't grow. Um, if, they, if those grapes don't get off that ground, uh, they won't thrive. And so if these grapes stay stuck in the dirt, uh, they will die. And when this happens, the light that is, that is still coming down upon them is not being absorbed into the grapes. Instead, it's, it's, it's being wasted because those grapes are, are remain in the dirt. It can't receive from up there what it so desperately needs down here because it's hanging out in the dirt. It will never benefit from what is up there and what wants to happen down here to produce something big. It can't happen because the grapes remain in the dirt. And one of the reasons, many reasons, Christians aren't bearing a lot of fruit is because they're hanging out in the dirt. We're not fruitful because we're hanging out in the dirt. This is why many Christians uh, suffer is because, I'll say it like this, we're unwilling to address unaddressed sin. 
We're unwilling to address unaddressed sin in your life, and you cannot benefit from the sun if you do not get out of the dirt. And a lot of us are saying that we want to be made fruitful. We want to become fruitful Christians, but we don't want to be taken away from the dirt. The Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity towards God. This is a contradiction. You cannot be fruitful and stay and remain in the dirt. And so you got to let God take you away from that. You, you, you have to, you got to let him elevate you above that. you got to let him kind of tie up a few things and wire you in a little bit right over here so that you can be under the sun and begin to flourish and become fruitful. Back to the story. Once you start bearing fruit, though, then God starts this pruning process. Pruning, in a nutshell, is cutting anything away that siphons life from you. In gardening, there are these little branches that siphon life away from you. And you know what they're called? They're called sucker shoots. Sucker shoots, okay? These little branches that take away, siphon away as the, as the nutrients are coming up through the vine, these little branches attach itself to the vine and to the branches and they suck and siphon away that life so it doesn't get into the branches. Now what's interesting about these sucker shoots is they don't produce anything. They just take everything. They create their own little diversion. Sucker shoots are a diversion, are you tracking with me right now? It sucks the nutrients designed for the fruit to bear fruit. And sucker shoots, are, they, they're, not, they're not doing anything good. They're not producing anything good. And so if you're hanging out with them, if you're near them, uh, th th there's no intention of productivity. And so they take from you what belongs to you to get you where you were designed to be. And so sucker shoots in your life sometimes are people. Come on, somebody. How many know a sucker in your life right now? How many know a person who is sucker shooting the things right out? you got to be careful how you say that, by the way. But anyone have a sucker in their life? See, there are people that are diverting, that are siphoning things away from your life. If you're a parent, you know this to be true. You, you, you know this with your kids. You're going to do everything in your power to get your kids not to hang out with sucker shoots. <laughs> See, we raised a good girl. We raised a good boy. Uh, we, we, we know there's a purpose for them, but we got to keep them. I got to keep her away from that sucker. I got to keep, you know, him away from that sucker shoot because they will start siphoning off the, all the things, the values, the ideals, the, the principles, the relationship uh, can be siphoned away. And before you know it, they're, they're taken away from what God called them to do and they're not being fruitful. They were hanging around with a sucker shoot. But listen, we do it too. I do it too. We don't only have people that are sucker shoots. Sometimes we have things that are sucker shoots. They're not wrong in and of themselves, but if they divert us from receiving and from experiencing all that God has for us, TV, media, you know, social media, things like that can be sucker shoots, massive sucker shoots. If it's robbing you of your spiritual intimacy, it's a sucker shoot. Hobbies can be sucker shoots in and of themselves. They're not bad or evil, but if it keeps you from ultimately being fruitful, where God wants you to have huge fruit in your life that will bring real life to you if it's taking you 
from that, if those hobbies are becoming idolatries, it's a sucker shoot. And it's siphoning the life that is supposed to come through the vine uh, to you. This is good preaching right now. Have you ever gone to a grocery store and you're looking at the fruit and you're like, that's some small fruit. I don't want that. And then you over, you're over here and you see yourself a honking cantaloupe. You see yourself a watermelon that's just, you're just like, wow, you want that huge fruit. God wants huge fruit for you. He doesn't want you producing small fruit that nobody wants. He wants huge heavenly fruit in your life. So how do we get fruit that is huge? How do we produce huge fruit in our life? Write this down, one word, and I'm just going to unpack this word and we're going to be done. This one word for producing huge fruit, check this out, is abide. 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 What do you mean, PD? Well, this word is used in the New King James. Any word-for-word translation scripture uses this. Other ones call it remain. It'll say remain. But in this chapter, John 15, There are 11 verses and 10 times the word abide comes up. I think God is trying to make a point about something. And so evidently he really wants us to understand this word. If you get abide, you get the branch and you get the fruit. The gardener takes care of the vine, but the job of the branch is to abide in the vine. The word abide in the Greek is the word mino, mino. It means to stay, remain. It means to hang out. It means to loiter. You just kind of, you could say linger, okay? To abide is to just hang out, to linger. And he says in so many places within this text, if you abide in me, you will increase your fruitfulness. The way that we produce huge fruit is to abide. Abide, uh, it means to stay intimately connected to Jesus, intimately connected uh, to the vine. Uh, When a woman becomes pregnant, remember this analogy, there's a baby that is actually connected by an umbilical cord to the mother. And guess what the baby does? The baby siphons off nutrients from the mother. And if that is being, if that is continuous, and that if that is successful, and if that baby stays connected, that baby will continue to grow. Right now, my daughter-in-law uh, Natalia has a little baby boy growing inside her, and little Ezra can't wait to see little EJ. Ezra is just siphoning off nutrients from Mama Natalia, and and as that connection remains strong, the baby continues to grow, and the baby's growing, 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 and you know, very soon, a couple months, we're gonna have ourselves. Another grandson, come on, somebody. But with, with, with a, if there's a breach, if there's a break in that connection, uh, then in any, in any connection like that, then life begins to fade. Things begin to uh, uh, struggle. And, and so most of you, relationally, when you got married, uh, before you got married, you were abiding. You were abiding. See, what led to that ultimate covenant connection was you were abiding. You you were with them, you saw them, and then you didn't. And then when you didn't see them, listen, then you talked to them on the phone. You talked to them for a few minutes, and then you called them like two hours later. You just talked to them two hours ago, but you talked to them two hours later, and then they went to work. And so then what did you do? You, You kept looking at your phone. Phone didn't ring, but you kept looking at it. You kept waiting by the phone for another, maybe a call came in, but it didn't come in. You were staying connected even when you weren't seeing her or seeing him. You sat by the phone doing nothing, just waiting for the call. You know what this is called? It's called abiding. You were preoccupied with that person. Your mindset, your affections, your thoughts were on that person. 
person. And in this relationship, uh, during the course of the week, you might have only had one, maybe two physical sightings of that person. But between the sightings, you were staying connected. You were having conversations. You were interfacing. You, you had um, uh, conversations and perspectives and mindsets. And, and when you weren't even talking, you were your affections, your thoughts, and, and your ideas were set on that person. And you were in ongoing connection. And there may only be just this one date, but you were abiding all week. On the other hand, many people who are married, who live in the same house, in, and maybe in the same room, maybe in the same bed, are not abiding. There are, they're, they're, they're t- I heard this one quote, we can be inches apart physically, but we can be miles apart relationally. So if we abide, if, 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 if we abide with God all week, when we come together in our city groups, in our small groups, in our watch parties, it will make that experience more dynamic. What we practice privately here will always affect the dynamics of what we do corporately together. So most Christians, what we do and why we struggle is because we got a date with God. We, we're going to go to church today and we're going to sing a couple songs and we're going to talk for a couple hours. It's all about you, God, these next couple hours. And then the benediction and the service comes and the date is over. The date is over. I'll see you next week at 11, God. I'll see you maybe in the middle of the week, and we can put in a quick call. I'll see you tomorrow morning, and I got something I want to read to you. That's not abiding, everybody. That's visiting. That's visiting. And so we must understand that abiding with God is different than a visit with God. You can read a verse every day. Maybe you think you keep the devil away. We might go to church twice a week. You you might attend a small group. Good for you. That's awesome. But that's not necessarily abiding. When a branch is cut off from the vine, it will shrivel. It will shrivel. And Jesus, in so many words, in many words, actually, is instructing us, don't disconnect from me ever. Don't ever disconnect from me. I want to thread myself into every aspect, every moment, every minute, every thought of your day. And some of that will be formal. You get down on your knees and pray. You read your Bible. You go to church. You have communion. Some of it is more informal. It's when you're talking to him in the cool of the day, in the hot days. You're talking to him in your car. When you need to make a decision, you just got a little five-second prayer. Other times you got to get some counsel from the Holy Spirit. And you pray in the Spirit for just about a minute to figure out what what you should do or to calm your spirit. Sometimes you're just, you're, just, you're just pondering him and thinking about him. Sometimes it's a big thing. Sometimes it's a small thing. But God wants to be a part of every moment of your day. Colossians 3, 17, it says it like this. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all, everything, all of it, in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God, the Father, through him. God wants you to stay plugged into him every single day, but often we go to something and then we unplug from him. We go to church, we go to a meeting, we go to a small group, we go to a leadership meeting, and this pattern is an indicator or is indicative or connected to, I should say, the problems uh, and, and the defeats that we experience. We want a microwave God and we really have more of a crock pot God. See, we want to go to God and we're like, hey, uh, you put on some intense worship, you come to church, I'm going to give you these 20 minutes, I'm going to go all out. Lord, I want you to bless me, I want you to put me on fire for God. It's just a microwave. 
It's a microwave experience. And you know what happens is you can get on fire really, you, you, can, you can get heated up really fast in a microwave, but you know this to be true. You can lose that heat as fast as you got it because it was a microwave, not a crock pot. But God wants to be slow cooking you. He wants you to be stewing on him. The Old Testament uses the word, the word for abiding is meditating. David said, I meditate in the morning. I meditate at night. He's just thinking about God. You're, it's rolling around in your head. You're, you're, you're praying. You're prinking. You're processing. The, 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 you're meditating. You're chewing. You're stewing on the things of God. And, he, and we don't just give him minutes. We're with him every minute of the day. We're staying connected with him. Is everybody with me? This abiding thing is the key uh, successor to our fruitfulness in our life. And some of us are trying to get it too fast and others are trying to get it with too many works, too many of our personal efforts. And I'll leave you with this kind of example because I was literally just this afternoon, I was looking in the kitchen sink. I'm home by myself studying and there are dishes in the sink and I don't know about you, but I hate to do dishes. Anybody out there hate to do dishes? I can't stand it. And, but yet I'll do them because I can't stand to have them in the sink. I want, I want the sink clean. But sometimes there's some tough dishes. Like there's a frying pan with eggs on it or, or some kind of meat or something like that. And when I see those things, then what I often do is I, try, I just I get that pan and I get my special tool, my little scraper, and I get my, my bicep pumped, you know, and I get the soap and I get the hot water, and I just, I'm just trying to get, I'm making it work. I'm trying, I'm, I'm working hard. I, I'm trying to just get that thing going. I'm forcing it. I'm making it what you want it to be. You got to, you just, I'm just doing it over and over and over. And you're trying to make it clean. Got to get it clean. I'm working it. But listen, if you just soak it, if you just stop working, Derek, and you just soak it, and you let it just sit in some hot water and some suds, if you just let that, that pan with all that grease and grime, if you, just let it, if you just let it abide in the hot water and in that soap and, and in and those suds for a little while, then what you were trying to force in a little while, in a short period of time, you go back, it'll just slide off. And see, some of you are trying too hard. And you're thinking too hard. And you think, I got to make this. That's right. Whatever he says, I got to make this work. I got to change who I am. I got to work harder. I got to make myself stronger, better, more spiritual. If it kills me, I'm going to do it. And Jesus is saying, Derek, brother, sister, sir, man, boy, go. Just soak it for a little while. Just abide. Just abide with me. Just abide in the presence of God. Just hang out with me. Just meditate on me. See, we often... Don't allow Jesus Christ and the things that he has taught us, the things that he's modeled for us to take root in our lives because we don't abide. But if we will abide, then the thoughts, the intents of the heart, the character, the transformation begins. And when that transformation begins, you and I can bear much fruit. It just happens when we abide. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, wherever you are, Four locations, also are online, everybody, that wherever you are, all over the planet. I just want you to close your eyes. I want God to begin to speak to you about being fruitful. But when you think about being fruitful, don't try to do it so fast. Don't try to do it with all your works. Try to do it. Don't try. Just do it by being with and experiencing God. Soak yourself in the presence of God. Make sure that you're spending time with him all the time. 
Don't unplug the crock pot and the food will stay fresh forever. So with every head bowed, maybe you're here today, every eye closed, and you're disconnected uh, from God. Not distant, you're disconnected. You formally don't feel confident that you're in relationship with him. I want to invite you right now to come into relationship with the vine, Jesus Christ. So before you can bear fruit, God wants to connect your branch to the vine, Jesus Christ. Here's how you do that. You just repeat after me. Just say this with your mouth, right out loud, wherever you are. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. Lord, I don't want to try to be a branch that's out there all by myself trying to do life. I want to be connected to Jesus. I want to be known by you. I want to be in relationship with you. I don't want to just know about you. I want to be in relationship with you. I thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life for me. And now I want to give my life back for you. I want to live my life for you from this day forward as a Christ follower. Now, Father, for every person who prayed that prayer sincerely from their heart, I pray you seal it until the day of redemption. I pray, Lord God, that in accordance with your word, their names are now written in the Lamb's Book of Life because they have confessed and professed Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, they're connected now to the vine. Now I pray that they bear much fruit in Jesus' name as they abide with Jesus. Come on, everybody. Can we all give the Lord a big hand clap and thank him for his word? I hope that you guys were encouraged. I hope you bear much fruit. I hope this week the best week that you've had all year. I'll see you guys real soon. God bless.